0: Now, so please, uh, I think I'll just, I might as well start. (laughs) Okay. As I mentioned, I've uh, started a six-month sabbatical, and one of the main reasons for the sabbatical is to focus on writing and completion of a book, which I'm tentatively entitling Transforming the Judgmental Mind. I'm looking for a more poetic title, and that would be the subtitle, but I haven't had the more poetic title come yet, so perhaps it will come in these weeks. And what I thought to do was to, uh, in part, share the creative process with this group, partly because the theme of working with the judgmental mind is a really central one for almost all of us. It's really a powerful topic in our own lives. And partly because uh, I thought that it would really spark the uh, creative process to bring my uh, thoughts here as I'm in the middle midst of writing. And it, I've, I've done that before with the book, The Engaged Spiritual Life. Uh, I actually uh, would be writing and giving talks related to the themes, and I felt that it was very alive. And so I hope that that can be the case. I'll, I'll probably do that for at least four or five times. I'll see if there's interest after that. And some of you may have uh, worked through all the issues with the judgmental mind completely and, and just not, not come back. <laughs> that, that, I would be very happy with that if you, if you did that. Or you might just want to come and share your secrets with others as you come. In a moment, I'll give a definition of the judgmental mind. And what I hope to do today is to talk about the theme, clarify what I mean by judgmental mind and judgment, talk about why it's important, and talk about some main ways to practice with working with the judgmental mind. Um, And hope that you give more focus to it in the coming week and we come back next time and compare notes. So the gathering here is in part uh, a support for your practice if you choose to keep this focus for the next week. And I'll give some suggestions, practices, guidelines for working in the next week. Probably, uh, Probably 17, 18 years ago, I found myself needing to make sense of and work practically with my own judgmental mind surfacing in some major ways. And it started a process that was unexpected at the time, where through some two periods of particularly focused work, um, mostly related to my own mind, my own experience, I came to really see that this question of the judgmental mind is one of the central ones of our time, of, of the experience of a large number of us. And uh, unexpectedly, it became quite a major theme in my teaching, and now I'm working on a book on that. It's an area that when we look uh, deeply into it, we find that the judgmental mind is there on more psychological, more personal levels. There's a tremendous amount of social conditioning which leads to the judgmental mind. And it's something where we can bring spiritual practices and tools in very helpfully. So the approach I'll be offering, I think, really integrates the psychological, the social, and the spiritual, which I think is quite important. Let me right away define what I mean by judgmental without doing anything else uh, right now. And so um, I'm using the word judgment in the sense of uh, some, uh, something that's judgmental towards ourselves, towards others. And it's important to do so because in English, we use the word judgment in quite a multiplicity of ways. We... Uh, may use judgment in the sense of talking about something that is judgmental, that is typically negative, we don't like them, there's a lot of reactivity, can lead to difficulties in relationships, uh, we can be very judgmental towards ourselves. But in English, we also use the word judgment to mean something like an observation or discernment that doesn't have charge. I'm using the word judgmental uh, related to uh, you know, experiences which do have charge and reactivity, we can use uh, judgment in the in a more neutral sense. So we might say that the uh, judges at the diving competition made you know they judged that this person had the higher higher scores, right? Not necessarily reactivity. Could be more neutral. We would say that the Engineers uh, came to the judgment that the bridge would withstand this level of winds, quite neutral. Or we might sometimes use the word, I went outside and judged that this is the way the weather would be today. Right? Those are neutral. Those, are, those uh, don't involve uh, reactivity. Think to yourself of uh, some examples of being judgmental, either towards self or another. Just take a moment and see what comes to your mind. And see if you can think of, like, a sentence or two. So what would be some examples? If you could say it just in one sentence, like it could be your own judgment or someone judging you or you judging another or, you know, judging a political candidate perhaps. What might it be? Yeah, just one sentence.
1: When someone walks out in front of my car and they're on their earphones and they're not paying any attention.
0: Okay. Yeah, tell me the sentence that you would say in your mind. What is that idiot doing? <laughs> what is that idiot doing? You know, someone just walking with headphones out in the street. Okay, another example. Again, just see if you can just have this. You have the actual words in your own mind. I'm such an idiot in relation to probably several possible occurrences. <laughs> okay, what would be another example? Please. If he only ate better, he wouldn't be so fat. If he only ate better, he wouldn't be so fat, right? Uh, judgment of another. You can feel the harshness, right? We want to. We're going to be studying these. We want to see what's there. You know, what? Another example. How can you possibly vote for that person? How can you possibly vote for that person? So there's probably, we might say, uh, maybe two judgments for the price of one,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> judgment both of that person and of the, the candidate, right? <laughs> Implicit, right? right? And again, we can, we can also think, I'm going to be a little bit light with the tone, uh, just to protect my nervous system, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we want to uh, be aware of what, what's the tone, what's the, the voice. So, uh, some more examples. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. And again, um, we could actually, this is where it gets interesting, we could imagine you're doing it wrong, perhaps without reactivity or harshness, right? It could be done from a good heart. You're doing it wrong. Maybe we'd use a little bit different language. You see, words are going to come in, be very, very crucial here. We're not going to deal directly with that, but the use of language is going to be a key way to work with this that that we'll get to. So we could imagine someone saying benevolently, you know, you know, you're doing it wrong, right? You can hear the tone, the tone of voice is all big, right? We can actually say the exact same sentence with different tones of voice. One is judgmental, one is non-judgmental. Interesting, isn't it? And you, we could say, you're doing it wrong, mm-hmm. or whatever. That, you know, we could imagine ten different tones of voice, right? That would that would happen. Another example, please.
1: Um, there are other people on the road
0: there are other people on the room. <laughs> you know, again, the tone of voice is going to matter, and uh, that, w- that would be judgmental, right? Please.
1: I'm late again, oh
0: Juanita. <laughs> I'm late again, oh Juanita. <laughs> right, that uh, you know, hooking into some a self-judgment that has uh, probably uh, surfaced a number of times, cause <laughs> the, you know, because the, it's the going back. Please, uh, Marty.
1: So
0: insensitive. You're so insensitive, you know, and um, said to another, perhaps said to oneself, right? Could be said to oneself. And again, we're going to notice the tone of voice, but words like that, probably typically judgmental, right? Please. Uh, judge not is a form of judgment. Say. Judge not is the form of judgment. Yeah, can you, can you uh, give me an example of what you might say? Give me one sentence that would surface in your mind. Uh, that would that's bringing out the point you want to make. Be less critical. Be less critical, right? So that that could be judgmental. That could be critical, right? And we'll come back to that because are some interesting loops with judgments, right? We can be judgmental of other people being judgmental, <laughs> <laughs> right? very interesting. And and that points to something which is going to be very helpful as a tool as we look into judgments, which is humor. Humor gives some space. I I remember the, actually when I was first, actually this may be a coincidence, but when I was first, well the second intense period of doing judgment work was the same time that I was enrolled in the clown school of San Francisco. (laughs) Um, for, uh, I think it was about a nine-month intensive. And, um, you know, I always became part of a troupe, and, you know, I used to carry around my clown nose when I taught all the time, but I, I lost my nose. <laughs> Not so good. But anyway, I, was, I remember, but I think it may have been um, the first or second day long that I ever did on this topic. I remember I was uh, giving a day long uh, on... I the title I was probably working with judgments, and I was, you know, I was right in the middle of the clown training. So I was, um, you know, what I often went to, or, I don't know, this, this, this was I think said as a compliment, but people said that one of your best attributes as a clown is your face. <laughs> could be heard, and you know, could be heard in different ways, but uh, in, any, in any case. Uh, your expressive face, you know, like, anyway, I'm kind of going into some of what I, what I explored. And I remember um, I asked people, you know, gave an introductory talk, then had people just give some examples of judgments in dyads with each other. And then I asked for a few people to share in the hall, and one person shared, um, you know, I realized that I haven't loved myself since I was five years old. And my, my clown face just went. You know, and, and which, which I then immediately said, that may not be skillful. But, uh, and so there was humor there, which actually was not so skillful. But humor and spaciousness can be uh, a positive quality as we look at judgments. Partly, as hu- if you take on the practice, you'll actually see them a lot more. They're around a lot. You know, we're, we're, we're being judgmental quite a bit of the time, and we need a certain amount of spaciousness to not be overwhelmed. And, and one, of the, one of the important points is to look out for being judgmental about how many judgments we're noticing. That itself is a judgment. Okay? Maybe one or two more examples? Please. You're the most critical person I've ever met. <laughs> You're the most critical person I've ever met. Okay, so it's interesting overtones there. Please.
1: Oh, I have a headache from just talking with her this morning.
0: I have a headache from just talking with her this morning. Again, the tone of voice is going to vary. Mine is a little different than yours, but the different nuances of judgment. Maybe last one.
1: People shouldn't drive SUVs. Yeah.
0: yeah. People should not drive SUVs, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so any number of judgments in the social realm uh, and so forth. Here, Here are a few from a cartoon called "Rhymes with Orange. This is about self-judgment. Choose someone and compare yourself unfavorably to that person. And it shows, there's six images. It shows a person imagining a person. Second, examine your face closely in the mirror. Notice all flaws. (laughs) (laughs) Three, relieve embarrassing, awful moments that occurred years ago. (laughs) Number four. Make a mental note of all the uh, people you regularly disappoint. Mm. <laughs> number five, disregard all compliments, especially from pe- people who supposedly love you. <laughs> and it shows a woman talking to another person. The other person says, you look great. And she's thinking, don't patronize me. <laughs> and number six, resign yourself to believing that from now on, this is how you will always feel.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and this is from a, uh, a newspaper clipping uh, from the Chronicle about an actual incident where a Tiburon motorist is in jail after he tried to run down a pedestrian wearing a plaid jacket.
1: <laughs> 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 it, uh,
0: the uh, police officer, this happened in Tiburon, oh, yeah. the police officer uh, said he made statements to the effect that he really didn't like the plaid jacket <laughs> <laughs> the man <he> was wearing. <laughs> so obviously you can get to extremes. Um, well, maybe one, one more example. This shows a man at, at a, an elevator. And this is a cartoon called The Idiot on My Shoulder. The a little figure on his shoulder who says, try pushing the button a few more times. That might make the elevator move faster.
1: <laughs>
0: so, again, there are these multiple dimensions of judgment. So what actually is the judgmental mind? What I, what I want to suggest is that the uh, judgmental mind, or s- statements that are judgmental, have a, a simple kind of structure. They involve some, typically, some kind of noticing or observation or discernment linked with reactivity. And it's the reactivity that is sometimes compulsive, half-conscious, unconscious. You remember from our Buddhist teachings, uh, as some of you know, I prefer reactivity as a translation of dukkha. Uh, meaning the ways that we tend to have resistance to the present moment, the way that we either push away compulsively or grab hold compulsively. And if reactivity has those two forms, then actually the judgmental mind is actually sometimes going to be positive. The ones that we are mostly aware of are negative. This is because, in part, uh, we can see that harsh, negative, reactive judgments of self or other are connected often with suffering. They're connected with the, uh, you know, breakdown of relationships or the worsening of relationships. They're connect- they can be connected with depression in terms of judgments of self. They can be connected with uh, uh, difficulties at work, obviously difficulties in relationships. A lot of relationships there are chronic ways that two people judge each other, that that get, things get locked in in a certain way, and they you know uh, they're also quite uh, play quite a major force in terms of social issues, right? That we judge people from this group or that group, or we judge this politician, or I judge things as being unjust and quite reactive. i will come back to that because it's, it's an interesting area. I, I've done, actually, uh, workshops and trainings on working with the judgmental mind for activists. It's a big issue there. Uh, now, we can see why it actually can be um, in a, both a, a big issue and an important issue when we see that uh, there's this combination of some kind of insight or noticing and reactivity. In other words, I might notice that that person is actually walking out into the street obliviously, right? I notice something quite valid. Or I notice, uh, maybe I notice something about SUVs. I may be noticing some, something that's valid. Or I may notice someone else's behavior. Or I might notice someone uh, behaving a certain way in a social gathering. And then I say, that person's really rude. Well, I am noticing something. I'm noticing some behavior. or. You know, as a teacher, for example, uh, if I'm judgmental, it's actually going to poison the teaching relationship, right? Uh, But I actually may notice things that can use some improvement. or What was your phrase? Uh, You're doing it wrong. I may actually notice something quite important, right? That the person actually, in a certain sense, is doing it wrong, right? And that's actually important information. But when it gets tied up with being judgmental, it starts to make the relationships difficult. And I think, again, there can be positive relationships where, positive judgments, I should say, positive judgments where I react, where there's some discernment, and I react by grasping on. Again, that's a little bit less prominent because it's not so obviously connected with suffering. And also, I think we have, you know, as psychologists have shown, we have what's sometimes called a negativity bias. We have our eyes out especially for uh, negativity coming our way. And in fact, most people, one of the things they least want in life is to feel judged in the sense of judgmental, or of being judgmentally approached. You know, it's, it's like most of us, if we feel ourselves seen, cared for, understood, and loved, you know, assuming that we're fed you know and so forth. But in terms of relationships, that's pretty much it, right? And so judgments, when we're feeling judgmental energy coming towards us, gets at these very, very primal needs and it's obviously connected with suffering. The positive judgments are less obviously connected. So it might be, you know, like my daughter is clearly the cream of her high school class. Right? I might be noticing something but I'm grasping onto it, right? So that would be a kind of positive judgment. I think in the course of our time, I'll come back to that. I'll mostly be focusing on the negative judgments. Now, what I'm going to be saying is that the judgment is made up of these, most simply, these two qualities, the noticing, the observation, the discernment, and the reactivity, The work that we do to transform the judgment of mind takes the judgment, first of all, notices it, and somehow separates out the noticing or the observation or the discernment from the reactivity, works through the reactivity, which is, you know, may take quite a while because a lot of the reactivity goes very deep into our nature. But works through the reactivity and a lot of the tools that we use work through the reactivity, then we can use the noticing or observation or discernment for the purposes of compassionate action. So we free up the discernment from the reactivity. Easier said than done. And that makes us able to use it. So I, you know, like come back to the example of activists. Activists may notice all sorts of things. Oh, that's unjust, right? Right. That's, uh, that's wrong, that's really morally questionable, right? Or, and so forth. And that can be very important discernment, very important noticing. When it gets caught up with reactivity, it turns into what? Complaining? Demonizing? And so forth. And often that energy, I've known this from working with groups, that energy gets turned against fellow activists often. Right? And so that energy can actually poison people's attempts to make things better you know, and can uh, really result in a lot of agitation. It also gives what is often felt like to be a certain comfort level of being self-righteous. Right? That can feel, that can be a comfortable place. But when it's judgmental, I would argue that it tends to poison the efforts. And of course we can see that in a large uh, amount of activism. You know? We can also see that in the political sphere. You know, The judgmental mind is kind of running crazy. In fact, uh, um, some of the debates, particularly the de- uh, Republican debates, seem to be almost entirely judgmental mind without any sense of it being a problem. Right? And I saw this also. I, I worked in the US Congress when I was in college. And I saw also that just training the judgmental mind with your opponents is a very, very common pastime there. And of course, it's paralyzing. It doesn't really get anywhere. Right? And so I think you can start to see that it's, it's a large issue. And it it's really is something that when you look closely, you'll see that it's actually quite there in a lot of our lives, in our relationships, in our approach to the world. And in a sense, the work that we do in transforming the reactivity isn't so different from our general spiritual practice here um, in that we are very much interested in transforming reactivity. We want to see where the mind is reactive, and we want to work with it. It sounds easy and simple. It's a lifetime of practice, right? It's a lifetime of really, really working with this. What I have found is that when we take the judgmental mind as a major theme, it becomes a very special way to move towards possibly very deep transformation. What I have found is that when we follow the trail of judgments, it takes us into very deep parts of our own mind, if we really follow it. It takes us, for example, and if we, if we go more deeply, we may find... I think each of us probably has some kind of self-judgment or judgment of other, which has been chronic for, since we were three, four, five, six years old. Some of this surfaces sometimes as a sense of inadequacy, I'm not enough, I'm not okay, I can't let this part of myself come out into the world, all sorts of things. And also, we may have in our relationships, as I mentioned, chronic judgments that are if they're not worked with, the relationships are stuck or even they fall, they fall away. And so uh, when we follow the trail of judgments, it can take us in to very deep conditioning, psychological conditioning, social conditioning, general spiritual conditioning. And I have found that it's a very powerful way to bring about deep transformation of very, very core material in ourselves just by following the trail. I can actually work sometimes quite quickly and can, can, can help in that way. Um, okay. So um, just a few other initial comments about why, why uh, working with the judgmental mind is, is important. I think that this is a particular issue of Western culture which is then being brought to the whole world through globalization. When I've spent time, for example, in Thailand, and I've been uh, at, uh, quite a number of times at meetings of what we call the International Network of Engaged Buddhists, people interested in bringing uh, Buddhist practice to social issues. And, um, I've noticed that the conditioning in Asian culture and many other cultures is generally different. There are other similar issues. There, there might be more use of shame and guilt, but not judgment in the same way. And in fact, the uh, Dalai Lama, when he first came across Western self-judgment uh, in the late 70s, I was actually at the Insight Meditation Society one time when this happened. He was taking questions and answers and someone asked a question. that was written down on a card I don't love myself. Please comment. <laughs> and he went back and forth with the translator for like four or five minutes. He didn't get the question. He later said, we really don't know that kind of self-judgment in our culture. Again, there are other issues. It's not to say one's good and one's bad, but they're, they're different. They're different issues. And, and he said later, and he finally went back and forth and uh, finally just sort of spurted out you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Very un-Dalai-Lama-like. And uh, later he said he took two years talking with Western psychologists to try to understand this process, to come to a better understanding of that. It's very interesting. I tend to speculate that it's the occupational hazard of a high degree of individualism and individuation. Again, which is again, increasingly going to other, other cultures. In fact, at other times, spending a lot of time in Thailand, I saw the judgment of mine being brought by many of my friends to some parts of Thailand. You know, I, uh, maybe I'll just tell this story, and then I should move on. It's a funny one. Uh, one. One of our meetings, some of the Thai organizers who had been to the U.S. and had done Western-style workshops they decided to bring some of the Western-style workshop techniques back to our meeting, which was predominantly people from the Asian countries, you know, Thailand, uh, Cambodia, Burma, uh, Japan especially, uh, also some from Nepal. And um, uh, they brought this back. And, and this particularly, most of the people were, were Thai. And they did this by, at the end of the uh, workshop, Name one, They asked people, this is very, again very American style, by the Thai organizers, said, name one thing you liked and one thing you didn't like at the end. And people named things they liked. But you could see, could sense that naming something they didn't like publicly was not socially OK. Right? And they were hesitating. And uh, one person said something they didn't like. A lot of it was around the food. It was vegetarian, not very good. Not, it was good. I thought it was very good food, but a lot of the uh, Thai people didn't like vegetarian food, and so they—they um, they were saying didn't like the food, and they didn't like it at first. They—they were—they—they. They, I'm sorry. They—they they made the statements slowly, hesit- with hesitation, and after the pattern was there for a while, they really got into it, and I said, "Oh my God, we are bringing the judgmental mind here." I think it's coming anyway, but it, it was interesting. So that's my speculation. It's just really a, a sense that it's sort of it's, it's there very much in culture, influenced by individuation, you know, some more than some more than others. So very very deep in our culture, it's very deep in spiritual practice. We can now be very judgmental about our spiritual practice. You know, I'm not making good enough progress. You know, I'm not concentrated enough. Right or we could have positive judgments. I am a really superb meditator. And you can tell by the clothes that I choose to wear. <laughs> right, right. And of course, I mean, you know, when, when people do retreats, they're probably, I don't, we don't have monitors to tell what's going on in people's minds, but there must be all sorts of comments about pe- what people wear on retreats, all kept very private, right? And even it at retreats? confess to having occasionally made comments about what people were (laughs) okay so we have a we have a sense of the territory um okay so how do we work with how do we work with judgments i'm going to suggest a few main tools and what i have found in my my work is that generally speaking There are two main ways, and I'll probably talk more about this next time. There are two main ways of transforming the judgmental mind. The first is more direct, and the second is more indirect. The first way, we notice the judgments with mindfulness. We see them, we study them, we go into them, we inquire more deeply into judgments. Ultimately, we can transform them, see and get to the roots. We can go very, very deeply, see some of the deep, core beliefs that are generating judgments that are often very unconscious. And that's one way. We can go in with mindfulness, notice, go directly into them, study them, use uh, practices that take us more deeply beneath the surface, into the unconscious, etc. That's one way. A second way, which I find complementary and necessary, is to actually be more indirect and to develop awakened qualities in ourselves particularly when I work with people, we particularly work with heart qualities. So anyone who wants to really transform the judgment on mind, I think, has to have a heart practice like loving kindness or compassion or forgiveness or gratitude because uh, what I actually have found is that, and this, this actually came in my own experience from really studying judgments a lot, And I I came to find that judgments actually are a kind of defense mechanism to cover over unacknowledged or unprocessed pain. Let me give some examples of that. Um, At one retreat, I was doing a practice, which was a very interesting one, of whenever there was a judgment on mind, I'd bring my attention to my heart. This is one practice we can do. I was doing this, and I also would sometimes summon up judgments that had been around for a while, repeat them, and then bring my attention to my heart. And for a long time, nothing, so much ha- nothing much happened. At a certain point, I started noticing that when I would go to my heart and listen, I would find that there was some kind of pain there. So I'd be, this was happening on retreat, I'd be on the food line at a retreat, and maybe, this was like on a winter day, and I'd be serving tacos with a lot of condiments. And it took a really long time to get through the line. (coughs) And I was at the back of the line. And I, of course, even though I'm a very highly developed meditator, as you know, (laughs) just joke, okay, Um, I found myself uh, judging at that time and saying, you know, they should arrange the condiments in a different way, right? You you know that one, right? And I would um, notice that and at a certain point, I would, you know, I would be noticing, I would have been practicing noticing judgments, bringing the attention to the heart. And then I would notice, oh, at a certain point, this took quite a while, I'd notice, oh, there's impatience. And I could feel the impatience. Normally, the judgments would cover that over. You know, maybe with droughting, there'd be some irritation or anger. The judgment kind of covers it over. Sometimes the anger, we can feel it. But a lot of times, like with this, the impatience was covered over. When I actually went to actually what was there and touched the impatience with mindfulness, uh, it was a revelation. And the judgment tended to dry up because I actually was touching the pain. And I started doing this more and more. I started noticing uh, uh, when I would be judging, you know, maybe judging another person, what's there? Oh, maybe there's some irritation. Or... That you know could be again impatient, some kind of feeling there, uh, or you know a a lot happened when I was first the second time when I was intensively looking at meditation. I had a lot of self-judgment about what I thought was my lack of spiritual progress. It was very harsh, actually quite you know quite mean, and I when I would um, when I would move beneath, and this again it took a while, when I'd move, move beneath the surface, I'd find sadness. Oh, what was a grief? Oh, I haven't done what I might do. I would touch the grief or sadness. The judgments would tend to dry up. Right. In other words, the judgments were being driven by something beneath the surface. And when I could go and touch what was there, first of all, I found that there was invariably after I started doing this, it was there all the time. I could feel the pain that was there. When I would touch the pain, the judgments would tend to dry up, you know? And then I could, again, make use of some noticing. In that example, it might be the discernment would be, oh, this practice is really important for me. I want to make it more a priority in my life, right? That's a very genuine discernment. You see how that could turn into judgment where I just endow myself? But actually beneath it there's something valuable which is covered over by the judgment. And it's covered over by the emotion. And then I could somehow get to that. It's not so easy, right? And so I found that these, uh, uh, some kind of pain was there. It was very, very helpful. You know, after the second period of intensive work, I really got interested in being around judgmental people and studying them. (laughs) So I would seek out judgmental people and be with them. And what I found from doing this practice was I started to be able to really tune in to the pain beneath the judgment that was there for them, and I wouldn't be hooked by the judgment. That's a pretty valuable tool, isn't it? Because, you know, again, when we're getting judgments come at, coming at us, we just get hooked right away, don't we, for the most part. It's real. like I said, we most want to be seen and loved, and we get judgments coming at us. It's really... For most of us, we just immediately get defensive, right? Unless it's from maybe from a child, and then we know better. Then we can feel the pain and kind of do what I'm doing. But with adults, for most of us, it's hard. And so I tended to be able to do that, which was a very interesting capacity to be able to touch the pain. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is that if, that's, if that is actually accurate, that judgments are in large part driven by unacknowledged or unprocessed or unconscious pain, which can go quite deep and way back in the past, then going into the territory of judgments is to to some extent going into the territory of pain. And we need to really hold ourselves with compassion and have the resources that let us be able to do that. And so what I suggest generally are two initial practices. First of all, just try to start being with judgments, noticing them. Set yourself the intention at the beginning of a day or beginning of a meditation. I'll try to notice judgments. Just give it a label, judgments. You know, again, meaning uh, reactivity is there. Just notice it. Uh, just study it. What's it like in the body when something lasts for a while? You need to do months of study of judgments. You know, Study it over and over again. This is deep material. It can be transformed pretty quickly. Pretty quickly means a lot in six months or a year. Doesn't mean after this one morning. <laughs> so, sorry, anyone who wants to leave now. <laughs> and so, um, so, initial practices I suggest for next week, just tr- set yourself the intention to track the judgments. Notice them. Set yourself that intention once or twice or three times a day. Work with mindfulness in three ways. First, just notice when they occur. Sometimes you're at a meeting, you just notice a judgment coming through. Sometimes what I do if I'm at a meeting or something, I have a piece of paper, I keep a judgment log. <laughs> just notice them. Just notice them. Give it a label. Sometimes that's all you can do. But you're basically stopping at them from being totally unconscious and automatic, which they often are. Okay. Secondly, if something lasts for a while, meaning more than a few seconds, in meditation or in daily life. See if you can study it. What's the narrative going on? What's the storyline? What's it feel like in the body? What's the emotion? And really consciously say, let me study what's here. A lot of what's gonna help in the long run with working with judgments is getting really, really familiar both with the content and with the dynamics of our own judgments becoming real experts in our own judgments, so that we can have so much familiarity that when they come up, we can notice them really quickly and bring our tools into practice, rather than having them proliferate, which is what they usually do, okay? Third kind of mindfulness is to be present, uh, or let me me back up, would be to try to get a sense of the patterns of the judgment. What was the stimulus? Now, this is more reflective. This isn't so much using mindfulness. Sometimes you can notice in the moment it's more reflective, saying you can maybe half an hour after something happened, you went to judgment and say, what was the trigger? Where did I go? What happened? What was the content? You can do that at the end of the day. That starts to, we start to see the larger patterns, and then we may find, okay, here is the pattern in this situation. And then, oh, similar pattern elsewhere. So we start to become detectives about our own judgments. And then the second broad area of practices is is to, I think, bring in at least one heart practice. How many of you have a regular loving-kindness practice? Okay. Well, so some of you. So I may focus more on this next time and bring that in. Good to have. How many of you have some kind of heart practice that you do regularly? Where you you could be loving-kindness, compassion forgiveness, joy, gratitude, something like that. Something like that's crucial, and I'll, I'll bring that in next time, because that's very, very helpful, if that makes sense, that we're, if we're actually going into this, we need some resources, and need to hold ourselves with kindness and compassion. Okay? So th- those would be my initial recommendations for practices uh, that can help work with this. Let me just finish, and we can open things up to questions. Let me see. At the <coughs> okay, and just one last. This is from the Jewish tradition. From some of the commentaries on the on their sacred text, on, "Great are the righteous, for they transform judgment into mercy." It's one way to say it. So where the aim is to transform the judgmental mind into insight and discernment and compassion, which is then the basis for acting. thank you kindly for your attention. And we have, uh, we have a good chunk of time if there are any uh, questions or reflections. We have about 10 minutes or so. Uh, please, yeah.
1: Um, I've been thinking about this for a while, so, <coughs> excuse me, I'm glad you're talking about it today. Um, but it seems to me that working with judgments is particularly difficult because and I may be wrong about this, but yeah. it seems as though the human brain is yeah. designed to sort and evaluate and and do all that. And that's that's what it does mm-hmm. constantly. I mm-hmm. like those pink flowers better than those. Mm-hmm. That then may lead to why did they put those there and not two of eva- you know, but um So it seems like uh, an endless struggle because I do believe the brain is geared to do that for us. It's to figure out what works, what doesn't work to keep us safe for survival. Right. And um, anyway, so if that's true, and then you go to the case of the Thai that you were talking about, who are lovely people. I'm wondering, do they not have those thoughts at all or are they just, is it culturally incorrect to voice them? And of course voicing them makes them more real and more acceptable and more entrenched I would say. But I don't know. I'm just
0: kidding. So several questions there. Um, I think uh, think I'll, I'll go lightly on the cultural piece. Because I think your your other point is really um, is really a fundamental question. Isn't there something about the judgmental mind which is linked just to normal the normal human functioning of seeing differences, having preferences based on ultimately on survival? And aren't we are we fighting with nature? Um, so so it's a very good question. And I think you know, I mean, it, it could be a question as well to um, address all of our practice. Right? Okay. I think the answer to my question in relation to judgments isn't going to be different from the answer to the question: Why do we meditate if we have all these strong tendencies to like and dislike? You know. Uh, so, um, and I think probably you, you know, if I asked you, why are you meditating? Why are you here? Even you know, are you trying to go against um, ways that your mind operates, which are just normal? You probably have a pretty good answer, I think. And actually, the, probably the same answer could be given to judgments. But I won't ask you for that. But I'll yeah. I'll say a few words. But I want to make that connection. So um, let's see. What what comes to mind is that. Um, It's almost like there are different levels of the brain, right? I mean, uh, if, we, if we take this at a purely scientific level, there are different la- levels of the brain. And the reptilian brain is about survival, right? And other levels of brain can sometimes override what the reptilian brain is telling us. You know, so we have capacities, that we have sort of so-called higher capacities for love, for compassion, for wisdom, which can, as it were, Uh, work with and uh, make assessments even of what the uh, conditioning is or what the uh, working of our minds are at the level of that level of the brain. So we can say you know uh, I am with this person uh, really scared of this person and we could say that partly that's involving some mechanism of the brain which is trying to protect us but it's also involved with the um, I'm finding I'm making all sorts of associations with this person who uh, I had a really difficult time with 13 years ago, and I'm seeing this person totally through the projection of this person being like this person, because the neural pathways are connected at the level of the brain. Well, I, can, I have the capacity to um, override that and create new neural pathways, so I don't do that with this person, right? And so that that's really points to the general response that our wisdom gives us the, the possibility of actually um, not going with our conditioning, but actually coming to um, work with our conditioning from the, from the point of view of developing qualities like love, wisdom, compassion, equanimity, and so forth. And this is what our practice is. Mm-hmm. In other words, the fact that the conditioning is happening in a certain way is, um, doesn't mean that it has to happen. You know, one of the examples that I didn't bring out too much in my earlier talk is related to social conditioning. You know, and there are all sorts of ways in, re- in which we have deep conditioning related to race, to gender, to age, to educational level, to religion. You, know, you can see you know, people in the news, certain people, their brains are working, or their minds are working, so that they're association, associating fear with Muslims, even with American Muslims. Well. That is, that's workable. That's not fate, right? That is something which can be uh, worked with, overridden, seen to be problematic. That's actually why there actually is a lot of hope to work with something like racism, for example, because there's actually, one can see some of the unconscious bases, which are in all the mechanism you're talk, talking about, but it can be reworked. Not easy. You know, it's also, of course, racism is not just about what's going on in the mind. It's also about institutions and systems. Uh, but, uh, but basically, it's workable, and we want to actually notice how the mind's working. And what mindfulness does and what our wisdom practice does is essentially creates new neural pathways. And we, we can actually see the old ones that are working in a certain way, and we can actually set up new ones so that the old ones progressively get weaker they don't necessarily go away, but they can get weaker. So that's the long answer. Yeah, that's a very good question. Thank you.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mean to imp- imply that I thought it was not worth doing because it was yeah. such a struggle. I was just yeah. thinking, no wonder it's such a struggle. Oh, it it's, <laughs> a, it's a
0: great question because, again, we, the, the, the neuroscience gives us some further way of understanding this, which is helpful and can let us see why it's so difficult. Yeah, so other questions? We had one up front, and then you had one in the back? Okay. Thank you. So I'm aware that um, I have a problem when I encounter no. or observe someone that is doing things that I consider rude right. uh, or maybe even destructive, such as... No driving in a car, and you can tell someone's driving very slow because they're texting, you see them looking down, or people on a cell phone in a public environment talking very loudly. Right. Um, So, to me, that's a form of judgment that um, makes sense because they are even doing things that could be harmful. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a great example to look at, and... The question is, how would we apply what I've talked about to that? Because I think, uh, basically, the hook of the judgmental mind is that there's some truth value. It could be some moral value, some justice value. And this tends to make us believe that, oh, I see what's true, what's helpful, what's important, therefore whatever I do is okay. The judgmental mind tends to think that at times. And so the question is, uh, how can we use that noticing, notice the tendencies to become judgmental, study that. Generally, the, you know, the suggestion i are making is that we're actually that in most situations, the judgment and the discernment can be really, really helpful, and it's important to act on it. The judgment in mind will tend to get in the way of effective action, and also tend to can be hurtful of us, right? Can lead to internal stress and so forth. So this is so how can I, with that driver who's texting, how can I first of all notice it, notice the tendencies be judgmental, but over time, how might I be able to have a response which is skillful and helpful but not judgmental? Not so easy, right? And, and this would apply to a hundred different areas, right? Again, as a teacher, maybe you can have maybe it's kind of most obvious why this is important, or more obvious, being a teacher. If I'm a teacher, I'm. It's part of my role to notice things that quote unquote need improvement, or that are, you know, problematic, or ways someone could develop or grow. If I'm judgmental about it, as I mentioned, it will poison the teaching relationship. Right? It's not going to work. And if I can, but but it's really important for me to notice what I notice. Right? That's really crucial. If I just say, I won't be judgmental, and I let go of everything, actually, I'm not going to be a good teacher. And it's, it's related to a point which I didn't make, which is that in a lot of circles, you'll hear being judgmental is bad. Get rid of judgments. Yeah. What is that doing? Judging. It's judging the judgment. Right? <clears throat> it's actually still in the same loop. And so that's why I think the, the, uh, what I'm suggesting is transformation not getting rid of it. but about, So it's really, mostly I would say at this point, take a look and see what happens when you are judgmental, even if you're noticing something really important. Is that, is it, again, it's not to blame ourselves, but notice what that's like. The long term aim is to keep the insight and be able to respond without judgment, being judgmental, it's not easy. Again, you know, look to something like teaching, parenting, being in a relationship, all of this kind of is more obvious, right? That you can notice something, but it's how do you respond without being judgmental? And again, sometimes in a relationship you could have an understanding, you know, I have to say something. This may come out a little judgmental. Please listen for the discernment beneath my judgment, <laughs> right? If you have a certain kind of relationship, you could actually say that and the person might, you know, let go. It's not so easy, right? Not so easy, but someone might let go of any imperfections in your, in your uh, communication. Okay. Was there just last one, and then we'll then we'll finish up. You uh, indicated that uh, beneath judgment, there's probably pain or suffering. Right. It seems almost unless you can deal with the pain, it's somewhat easier to deal with just be judgmental rather than deal with the pain. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> You got it. You got it. That's why we keep judging, because partly, uh, you know, if that's correct, and from what I've seen, it is, and it probably, you know, if you look at some examples, it can make some sense, even, you know, whether there's, I'm talking about pain as simply the presence of the unpleasant. It can be minor pain, like my impatience with the taco line, or it can be something major, right, like, uh, you know, grief or deep sadness, you know, or it can be something even deeper, you know, related to childhood conditioning, right? And so if that's true, we have, you know, again, you can talk about at the level of the brain, we have a certain uh, almost interest in avoiding that pain, right? And so we're going to stay in the judgmental loop indefinitely, unless we work on it. And and, and we'll be, re- the thing is, we're relatively unconscious, generally, about the pain. We don't know that there's pain. This is kind of a, almost like a, it's a defense mechanism, which is operating unconsciously. Look at that when you study it, see if that's the case, you know. Uh, and, and so, one has to uh, kind of know this for yourself, and have some interest in going more deeply. You know, some of it can make some sense conceptually, right? Probably for some of us, because oh, yeah, it makes sense. You know, I, uh, you know it makes a certain sense conceptually, but you have to look at it um, experientially to really get that. And then, you know, and then again, uh, it's, uh, the, the difficulty is we don't know that there's pain that's driving the judgments. We see the truth value. That's the thing. We see what's true in the judgment, and that's, that's it for us. We don't notice that it's, it's uh, uh, driven to a large extent by pain. This would be the same for activists, pain around injustice or pain around something. It's unacknowledged and unprocessed, and it can lead to automatic behavior, which is not going to be helpful <coughs> for the most part. It can be partly helpful. And so the pain is, gonna be, is basically unknown. It's unconscious. It's beneath the surface, and it's hard to access. So we need some tools, right? Especially for the deeper ones. And so we need some tools to get there. But that's the basic dynamic that most people are in. So let me finish here. Sorry, to. We can talk maybe afterwards or bring it in next time. Yeah. So my invitation is, how many of you would like to look at judgments the next week and come back and share your share notes? I hope, hope so. OK, great. This is a, I've seen everyone. <laughs> Okay. And uh, so my invitation is work with uh, the mindfulness in those three ways, tracking, just noticing, that's all. Secondly, if it lasts for a while, study how it is in the mind, body, and heart. And thirdly, see if you can notice some of the patterns. This could be done after the fact, six hours later, one day later, just reflection. What happened? What was that about? (laughs) Right? And, And look at it. And and then, if you have a heart practice, or something that brings you into something that nourishes your heart, it could be just being with beauty. For those of you who don't have a heart practice, I would say spend 10 minutes a day with beauty—beautiful art, beautiful music, trees, flowers, whatever, mountains. And if you can, do a mindfulness practice and do a, a a heart or beauty practice, and that will help. That's important for the balancing. And we'll come back and compare notes. So thank you. And uh, let me just finish by setting intention for yourself on how you'd like to proceed in the next week if this, if this uh, resonates with you. And then we finish by recognizing that our practice is beneficial for ourselves, it's also beneficial for others. May our time together be of benefit for all beings, all beings includes us. So thank you again for your uh, interest and may we continue well. So thank you. Thank you for listening.